Well, a while back, my sixth grade daughter asked me for some help on writing a thesis sentence for one of her essays. So after I read the essay, I said, well, why don't you try something like this? And I meant it as kind of an example, but after I'd left, guess what the little turkey did? She wrote it down verbatim, right? Well, when she got it back, she got an A, and I noticed that the teacher had written on it, this is the best thesis sentence I have ever read. I felt so proud of myself. <laughs> right, like now I know why I got that PhD in English so I could write better than a sixth grader, right? When you feel successful at something, how does that make you feel? Happy, right? Second question, for how long? How long? It doesn't last very long, right? The thrill of the promotion, the accolade, the bragging rights at the cocktail party. How long does that last? Not very long, right? I had a man say to me this week, I feel like I get an A in success, an A in achievement, and a D in fulfillment. Now, there's nothing wrong with success, accolades, all of that. They can be very good things, but they aren't ultimate things. And if we make them our ultimate goal in life, that brings a lot of stress, anxiety, and a lot of fear of failure. Going out on a limb here. Anyone in this room ever worry about failing at anything? Anyone? Sure, right? Worried about failing in a job, failing at school, failing as a parent. Or maybe a better question would be, have any of you ever felt like a success as a parent? I mean, the, more, the older my kids get and the more I see myself in them, the more I want to say to my wife, you know, along with the college fund, maybe we should start a therapy fund because I think I've just given them issues, right? The drive for success is defined by our culture, and the fear of failure can just wreck our lives. That's why I love the passage that we read today, because in it, the Apostle Paul is about to be executed for following Jesus. And to the world, he looks like an absolute failure. He's in prison, right? But in the middle of it, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, and not only to me, but also to all, the, all who have longed for his appearing. He doesn't sound depressed in spite of his circumstances. He sounds triumphant, even joyful, in spite of all that he's facing. Because even though he has failed at the things the world says you have to have, title, money, prestige, he has succeeded at the things that actually bring contentment and fulfillment and joy. Notice he doesn't say, I fought a good fight. He says, I fought the good fight, the fight that matters. Not the fight my culture told me to fight, the fight Jesus told me to fight, the fight that brings joy and purpose and meaning. So I want to ask you this question. Whatever fight you're fighting right now, is it the good fight? Is it the fight that is going to lead to joy, meaning, and purpose? Or is it the fight your culture tells you to fight? And what is the good fight that leads to meaning and joy and purpose? It comes to four words. How, who, what, and when. And the most important of those words is the last one. So you're going to have to pay attention to the whole sermon. Sorry. And I'm not going to say anything that most of us don't already know deep down, but we don't do it because we get distracted by the things our culture says to do. First word, how. Real joy, fulfillment, if you want an A in fulfillment, comes from not how much we, we have, according, you know, the, 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 in terms of title and money and, you know, as our culture says to have. It's not how much we have, but how much we love. It's about relationship. In this text, Paul asks for a man named Mark. And what's interesting about Mark is way back in Acts chapter 15, Paul refused to take Mark on one of his missionary journeys because he thought Mark was just such a disaster of a leader. And Paul wasn't very nice about it either. Paul was so fixated on success, he just ran right over Mark. But here he is all those years later, 
asking to have Mark come to him because obviously there's been some kind of healing or reconciliation and there's a friendship there now and he knows that that relationship is going to give him joy. It's not about how much we have, it's about how we love because relationship is ultimately what really gives us lasting joy. We all know this, but we don't do it, at least according to our calendars. We're investing in lots of other things. Second word, who. Joy comes not from who we impress with our degrees or our jobs or whatever, like our culture says, not who we impress. Joy comes from who we become. It's about character, having the character of Christ. Now, I know in our culture, character can sound like kind of a consolation prize. You know, great, I don't have money, I don't have prestige, I don't have a fancy job title, but I've got character. Awesome. But you know what? If we realize that the point in life is not to achieve something, but to become someone, to become like Jesus, it can give us joy. For one thing, because Jesus was joyful, so to have more of his character means more joy. But for another, it relieves us from having to live up to the world's metrics of success all the time. Paul does not say in this text, I won the fight. I placed first in the race. He says simply, I fought it. I ran it. Here's the thing. Jesus does not ask us to be successful. He asks us to be faithful. So if you are hearing a voice in your head saying that you are a failure, that is not the voice of Jesus. That's the other guy. That's our culture. Jesus never says to anyone, you're a failure. When we get to heaven, you know, when you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to look at you and say, were you CEO or CFO or CO2 of your company, right? He's not going to ask that. Or, or what degree did you have? Or how much money did you make? What was your salary history? He's not going to ask those questions. He's going to say, did you love me? And did you cooperate with me in helping to make you more like me? The character of Christ. Now, some of you right now might be thinking, oh, great. Now I have to be like Jesus. Great, I was stressed out before. Now I'm super stressed out. How do I become like Jesus, right? Calm down, my overachieving, anxious Eastside friends. It's going to be okay. In 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, let Jesus refine your character so that, quote, others may note your progress. That is, the mark of a Christian is not perfection. It's progress. Not perfection, progress. You don't have to be perfect. A while back, one of our elders was reviewing our church's bylaws, and boy, howdy, doesn't that sound like a party, right? Presbyterian bylaws. He's taking one for the team. Well, one place was talking about how elders should have strong character, only there was a typo, and it said all elders should be flameless in their life. Okay, he wrote to me, and he said, I, I fully support having non-combustible elders, but maybe we should refine this, right? You do not have to be flameless. You do not have to be blameless. You do not have to be perfect. The mark of a Christian is simply progress, just faithful. And the point of life is not to achieve something, it's to become someone. And we need help doing that, don't we? Because the world does not reinforce that message. Right? The world tells us we have to have all the accolades, all the jobs, all that stuff, the title, all that. So we need each other to help. For instance, one of the things I've heard many women talk about is the pressure they feel from our culture to look a certain way and how that gets harder the older they get. What if in, our, in, friend, in Christian friendships, women congratulated each other not on how they looked or what they were wearing, but what if instead they congratulated each other on their character, on, on their, how they were trying to love Jesus and trying to be a good woman or a wife or a mother, right? Not perfect, but trying. 
What about in, with men? What if men congratulated each other, not based on their job title or their salary, but on their character and how you're trying to follow Jesus so that we reinforce that it's not about achievement and metrics according to the world. It's simply about being faithful. As you know, I love baseball. You hear me talk about baseball a lot in sermons. I love baseball because it's God's sport, right? It has no clock, which means it's eternal, like God, right? And I know those of you who think it's slow are like, yeah, it is eternal, right? So, but this is important. You know, cats are evil. Baseball is holy. These are just biblical teachings you need to know to have a good life. So a while back, I was helping my son with batting practice. And at one point, he just missed a bunch of balls right in a row, and he just dropped the bat in his head, and he did this kind of Charlie Brown slump. You know, he goes, I'm terrible, right? So, you know, I said, listen, buddy, you know, I, I only care that you do your best and that you don't give up. I, I don't care how many balls you hit. I don't, I don't care how well you do. I don't care how many balls you hit. I said, do you believe me? And he goes, no. <laughs> and I said, well, why? And he said, you wouldn't keep talking to me about it if you didn't care how well I did. Ooh. Kids are so perceptive, right? So I said, you know what, buddy? I am sorry if I have done that to you. And yeah, sure, I want you to improve, just partly so that you will feel better. But honestly, what I care about most is the kind of man that you become, right? I, I want you to be the kind of man who, who doesn't give up and who doesn't feel like he has to please everyone else, but who just does his best and is satisfied with that. This is about what kind of man you're going to become. That's what I care about. Do you believe me? And he said, no. So then I did the Charlie Brown slump, right? So now we have this ritual before every game. I say, what's, what's most important in this game? And he goes, that I have fun. And I said, yes, and what's even more important than that? And he goes, it's about the kind of man I become. <laughs> I don't think he believes me at all. Right? But I am going to keep saying that to him. You know why? Because here's what's at stake. It's about the kind of man that he's going to become. You know what else it's about? It's about the kind of man that I'm going to become. Am I going to be faithful to loving my son and to loving Jesus? Not perfect, faithful. How well we love, who we become, the third word is what. But not what we do, as in our job title or anything like that, but what we leave behind. Did we make a difference? I read a story this week about three men who were talking about what they wanted folks to say after their funeral. And one guy said, well, I want them to say I was a great humanitarian. And the second guy said, well, I want him to say that I was a good husband and a good father. And the third guy said, I want him to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> We're all, the other service thought that was hilarious. So oh. <laughs> here's the deal. We're all going to die. And what keeps us from feeling like we get a D in, in fulfillment is knowing that we have made a difference, that we are leaving something behind that truly matters. Woody Allen once said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my movies. I want to achieve it by not dying. Not an option, right? But what is an option is to have people say to you, I want you to know you have made a huge difference in my life. And the satisfaction of that goes way deeper than any promotion, award, or accolade. True joy comes from how much we love, who we become, what we leave behind, and finally the last word, when. When are we going to do all this? Now, our culture says later, after the promotion, after I get the house taken care of, after the kids are grown, after I've had my fun. But Jesus says now. In this text, Paul says to Timothy, come quickly, because otherwise it might be too late. The time is now, not later, as our culture says. There's an old story about Satan who was interviewing three junior devils about how to tempt people. And one de devil said, well, I'll, I'll convince them that there is no God. 
And Satan said, that won't work. Deep in their heart, they know there is one. And the second devil said, well, I'll, I'll convince them that there's no heaven. And Satan said, no, no, that won't work either because they know in their hearts that this is not all there is. This life is not all there is. The third devil said, I'll tell them that there is no hurry. And Satan said, that'll work. That'll work. That's why this is the most important point in this sermon. Because most of us know at some level that what really brings joy is relationship with God and with others, the character of Christ, and making a difference in our world. It's just that we keep getting distracted by the things our culture says are more important. And, and, those are, and by the real pressures that we face. And we do face real pressures. Right? We have to do well at our jobs or else there are consequences. There are real pressures. But as important as those things are, they are not the most important things. So my question to you today is by your calendar and by your checkbook, how much are you investing in relationships? Who are you becoming? What are you leaving behind? You know, one of the opportunities we have as a church to invest in relationships, grow character, and make a difference is this coaching program I told you about last week. If you weren't here, Jubilee Reach Center has been invited by the Bellevue School District to run all the sports programs in the Bellevue Middle Schools. Right? And they'll be using a, a method called biblical coaching where the goal isn't just to win games but to develop godly men and godly women. Not by shouting Jesus on the school campus because you can't do that on a public school, but by modeling it and hopefully provoking the question the answer to which can only be Jesus. As I said last week, one of the mottos they have is we will not know if we've had a great season, even if we win a championship, until 10 or 15 years later. And do the, do the, do, do the wives and husbands and children of former students come back and say, thank you for developing my husband or my father or my wife or my mother. And there's been a pilot program at, uh, at Highland Middle School and it's made a huge difference. A couple months ago, the students there had to take a national test that measures improvement. And the principals asked the Jubilee Reach Center to come and bring breakfast to the students because many of them don't eat, don't get breakfast, and they would just quit halfway through the test and give up because they were tired and they were hungry and all that. So JRC brought breakfast. And while the kids were eating, the coaches from the biblical coaching program came in and kind of gave a, a locker room pregame pep talk, right? They said things like, get out there and get in the game and do your best and don't give up and we love you and we believe in you and just do your best. That's all you have to do, right? Sports stuff, right? Well, then the principals asked if the coaches after that would just sit in the room as the kids took the test because they noticed that if the coaches were just in the room, the kids felt way more confident and they actually did better on the tests. So the coaches sat in the room. Well, after it was all over, the kids wrote thank you notes, all of which said similar things, you know, thank you for the encouragement, thank you for the breakfast. But one line came up over and over and over again. Thank you for being there. I didn't know anyone cared. What a thing for a seventh grader to write. Not just one, but lots. I didn't know anyone cared. But what a difference it makes to have caring adults in their lives sitting there going, you can do it. Whether you get an A or a D on this test, I believe in you. Right? Now, not that everything is perfect. Some of these kids are still pretty rough, but it's getting better. I talked to a man named Jeff this week who was, has graduated from college, but when he was in high school, he was in a baseball team, Godsport. He played baseball uh, for in one of these biblically coached model teams, right? And he wasn't a Christian at the time, but he said the way his coaches were just caught his attention. He said, they, you know, yeah, they wanted us to do our best, but, but they weren't stressed out about winning and they weren't angry all the time like all the other coaches I'd had. And they'd say things to the opposing team like, thank you for allowing us to compete against you because that's going to help us get better and you get better and that's what this is really about, not win or lose. 
Well, he thought that was all kind of weird and different. And in high school, you know, like a lot of high schoolers, he got started drinking. But by the time he got into college, he added drugs to that, was treating women pretty poorly, and at a certain point realized, this is not the life I want. It's doing me no good. Well, then he remembered his coaches and the life that they had. And it looked really attractive to him at that point. So he became a Christian and started going to church. And he hated it. He just hated the church. He said it reinforced all of his worst stereotypes about Christians. And the thing he hated most was every week there'd be this perfect testimony from someone. And he said to me, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? I said, I'm a preacher. Of course I know what you're talking about, right? You know, I, I used to take drugs and then I was in prison and then I ate my hamster and I ran over my mother, but now I found Jesus and everything is perfect, right? And he said, I hated the everything is perfect part because I still had these temptations and these struggles all kinds of things. And he said, that's when I remembered my coaches from high school. So he went back and he talked to them and they opened about, up about their struggles, their failures, their sins, their temptations, but how Jesus forgave them and was gradually making them better men. He said, it's the first time I realized that you could be a screwed up Christian. I said, there is no other kind. <laughs> right? Like that's what it means to be a Christian. And he said, their openness about their failures helped me fight, keep fighting the fight. Not that everything's perfect. He still struggles, but better. He's graduated from college. Now he's, now he's coaching in one of these biblical model coaching programs. Right? And he said, you know, when I was in high school, I bet my coaches thought I was the least likely person to ever change, that I would never be different. Right? I, I would have been the least hopeful candidate to become a Christian. But they didn't give up for all those years. Because you see, sometimes, guys, we don't see results Sometimes we don't see results, but Jesus doesn't measure results. He measures our faithfulness and our relationships, and are we sticking with him? And Jeff says, so now finally, after all these years, here I am, I'm making progress. And he says, I am having so much fun pouring into these kids in a Paul Timothy kind of way, the same way my coaches poured into me. He doesn't have any titles or a lot of money, but he does have joy and he has fulfillment. And his coaches can see that their faithfulness, their character, made a big difference even though they didn't see it at the time. And I got to believe that that kind of joy goes way deeper than all the trappings that our culture says we're supposed to have. So, how much are you loving? Who are you becoming? What are you leaving behind? And when, if not now, are you going to invest in all of those things? So many ways to do it. By how you love your family, your kids, how you treat your coworkers in the office, teaching Sunday school, being part of our youth group, maybe signing up for that service day in August, even that little thing, I believe leads to big things. I think the reason we have this coaching opportunity is because the Bellevue schools trust us because of that service day. And of course, we still need more coaches if you're interested in that. About 50 of you signed up last week, but we need a lot more than that because we don't want the burden to fall on any one person in any one team. And this is a great opportunity that can literally change hundreds of kids' lives, could even transform our community. We have been praying for revival for years in this church. This, I think, is a big part of it. It's a once-in-a-generation opportunity. We need both men and women, basketball and soccer, starting with those sports, expanding from there. You don't even have to know how to play. We'll teach you all that stuff that you need to know. And if coaching is not your thing, we need people who can pray, who can help with snacks, transportation, all the rest. It's a great way to revive the east side, but also revive ourselves by investing in the things that ultimately matter. Back when I was doing college ministry, I was talking to an older man who'd been in ministry his whole life, and he asked me, how's ministry? And I said, oh, fantastic. 
And he said, no, really, how's ministry? And I said, you know what, to be honest, not so great. My students are complaining. My group's not growing. I, I feel like kind of a failure. And he said, hmm. Go home and read the very end of 2 Timothy, and as you read it, remember, these are the last words the Apostle Paul ever wrote. And I went home and I read these words, and I almost started to cry. Because in this passage, Jesus started to shift my perspective on what matters and what doesn't, and what ultimately brings joy and what doesn't, and what success is, and how that's according to God, and how that's different than what success is according to our culture. Because here's Paul at the end of his life, in prison, his churches are a mess, the Galatians are heretics, the Philippians are fighting with each other, the Corinthians are the worst church ever in human history, and it looks to all the world that Paul has failed. But what the world doesn't know is that 2,000 years later, a group of Presbyterians, a group that had not been invented yet, would be reading his words in English, a language that wouldn't appear for another 1,300 years on a continent called America that nobody had ever heard of. And talk about making a difference. Talk about legacy. Because Paul invested in what really matters, and so at the end of his life, he had indestructible joy. Several years ago, I saw a bumper sticker that asked kind of a profound philosophical question. It said, what if the hokey pokey is what it's all about? I hope not. Because, you know, left foot in, right foot out, I could never get that, and the shake it all about thing is just awkward for me. But that's sort of the life our culture encouraged us to live, right? Left foot in, right foot out, buy some stuff, show it all about. But that is not the point in life. The point in life, as I've said before, is not to arrive at death safely, successful, and comfortable. It's to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, completely spent, shouting at the top of our lungs, thank you, Jesus, what a ride. It's to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight, not just a fight, the good fight. I have finished the race, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself will reward to me on that day. Roughly translated from the Greek, what Paul is saying is, thank you, Jesus, what a ride. So Holy Spirit, asks ask that you would help us to focus in on that which matters and pay as little attention as we can to that which doesn't. Jesus, help us to take our cues from you. Help us to stick close to you because in your presence there is no fear. In your presence there is no judgment. In your presence there is no performance. And help us simply to be faithful to you, following you, loving you and those you give us to love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.